My name is Kodo. This is Young Urban Zen. It's Tuesday. And I am very happy to welcome and introduce Aya Damadipa, our guest speaker for the night. Uh, Aya is also known as Konan Osho. He's been practicing the Dharma, practicing Buddhism since 1987. Um, she is a fully ordained bhikkhuni in the Theravada tradition, Theravada tradition and a Dharma transmitted teacher in the Suzuki Roshi lineage, the lineage of San Francisco Zen Center. Um, very happy to say that Ayodhamadipa is in the, in the midst of creating, co-creating uh, a budding Dharma community named Dasanaya. So a couple of things, I'll put uh, a link to the Dasanaya community in the chat and also all of the donations, all the contributions from tonight will go to support that growing community. So uh, there will be a different link than usual for contributions. And with, with that, Ayodhamadipa, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kodo. Thanks for the warm welcome and thanks for the generosity. I really appreciate it. So I'd like to start by paying respects to the Buddha. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Udang Dhammang Sanghang Namasami A long time ago, in a place very, very far away, there was a Zen student a Zen student who was said to be illiterate who went from being somebody who did some very manual labor in the monastery to being the abbot overnight thanks to having won a poetry contest <laughs> Think about that for a second. <laughs> and so the, uh, the previous abbot, the abbot who gave this succession, thought, wow, you know, maybe some folks might be bothered by this. And so he recommended that the new successor, the new abbot, go for a long walk, about a three-year walk. <laughs> this is his recommendation. So I'm talking about this tonight because I think that this story has some relevance for us 
and I'll say a little bit more about why in just a moment. But this is the story of the sixth Zen ancestor or Chan ancestor, because this is a story from China, seventh century China. And it is the story of the succession from Daimon Hongren, or as he's known in Japanese, uh, Daimon Konin, to Weinang. Daimon Dai Zhang Weinang, or Daikan Eno. So I should also say my Chinese pronunciation is horrific, so please don't quote me. But this is the story of that transmission that occurred a very long time ago at one of the most prestigious and one of the largest monasteries actually in Chinese Chan. And the sixth ancestor is one of the most revered of the ancestors. So you might think from that, uh, that little bit of background that his Dharma brothers, so this is, uh, as was typical at that time, a monastery only of men. And you might think that his Dharma brothers would be happy for him, would feel some mudita. So mudita is one of the basic Buddhist teachings, one of the teachings that the Buddha, the historical Buddha, many, many years before this story happened, so about 1,200 or 1,300 years before this story happened, taught uh, as part of a group of beautiful mind states called the Brahma Viharas, or the heavenly dwellings. So the Brahma Viharas are four. It's Metta, loving kindness. Let's start with this finger. Metta, loving kindness. And then Karuna, which means compassion. Mudita, which is the one we're going to talk about a little bit today. Empathetic joy, or sometimes translated as sympathetic joy. And then Upeka, equanimity. And these were states that the Buddha described as being luminous and vast and deeply joyful and also some of the most powerful forms of meditation forms that could lead into very deep immersive states of concentration so mudita is is empathetic joy and that's it means literally that it means feeling joy about some other being's joy And if you think about that, it's a very interesting practice, right? If we feel joy only for our own joy, then there's a certain amount of capacity there. But if we're capable of feeling joy for any other being's joy, in addition to our own joy, then the possibilities become much greater. But the key to Medita empathetic joy is that it should be joy of some other being's wholesome joy, right? It wouldn't make sense for one 
for us, myself, to feel joy about some joy that somebody else is having because of something unwholesome that they did. I don't know if you can hear the cat in the background, but maybe the cat's going to help me give the Dhamma talk tonight. <laughs> so in any event, yes. So Mudita is about joy, uh, about resonating with wholesome joy of other beings. And that's why the Dharma brothers weren't able to feel mudita in this situation, right? Because suddenly, Wenang, as he's known, was elevated to this position of becoming the new abbot, of becoming the successor. And because they didn't have a lot of experience with his practice, then there was a lot of concern, like maybe something untoward had happened. Maybe there was some kind of um, trick that he pulled. All of this happened in the middle of the night. You know, he wrote this, this fabulous poem. Okay, great. But then <laughs> there was this transmission of the bowl and the robe of successorship in the middle of the night and off he goes. So it's said that liter- that lots of them actually set out after him, set out to pursue him. And I'm sure that some of us have had similar feelings, right? Who is this fool who landed this big job? We won't talk politics, but. (laughs) It comes up in all kinds of events, in all kinds of places, in all kinds of times, right? So several of the monks, many of the monks set out in in, uh, pursuit of Wenang. And it so happened that one of his other, uh, one of his Dharma brothers was a former uh, soldier. And so he had a lot of training about how to track people down. And so it turns out that he was the one who first caught up to Wei Nang. His name is Wei Ming. There are various ways of pronouncing his, the characters of his name also. So if you see other versions of it, um, it depends on how those characters are being translated. But the story is told, the story of their encounter is told in one of the koan collections. And in particular, it's koan number 23 of the Mumon Khan or the gateless gate. And so this word koan Maybe it's familiar to some of you. It comes from the Chinese uh, phrase, kofu uh, no antoku, kofu no antoku. And the, the kofu no antoku was a board, literally like a bulletin board. It was a board in each place, in each town in ancient China, 
where they would post public proclamations. They would post new laws or proclamations by the local, the local dignitaries, the government, etc. And so it has this kind of underlying meaning of something that applies to everyone. So the koan collections are these stories. And uh, there are a number of different collections uh, and a number of translations of each one of them. But I want to talk a little bit about this, the way that this story is told uh, of this encounter. So, so the one I'm using is um, Shibayama Roshi's translation called Gateless Barrier. Um, although I will say that I somewhat prefer the Thomas Cleary. And I believe that he, he titled his version No Gate, but because of my upcoming move, all of my books are in, a bo are in boxes. So I kind of put my finger on the Thomas Clary version, but I'm sure you could if you tried. And so what happens? So, so Wei Ming, Wei Nun, so he's the new abbot. So I'll just call him the new abbot so, for the sake of clarity. So the new abbot sees Wei Ming coming. His, he sees his Dharma brother coming in the distance. And he sets down the special robe that he was given and the bowl. So this transmission of the robe and the bowl is a way of verifying his authenticity, so to speak. It's a way that the successors were known by which robe they had received. So he sets it down on a rock and he sees women coming and he says, you know, this robe and bowl are basically like devotional items. So how could it be right to fight over them? You could just have it. You can just take it. And this is the first key teaching that we see in this koan. So one other thing I will say is, anytime that you're working with a koan, there are different ways of working with koans, many, many different ways. There's the uh, sit with the question itself until something breaks open. There's the using the koan as kind of a, like a, a key word or even a mantra or like saying it to oneself a lot. And there's the using it as a teaching story. So my master, my Zen master who ordained me, Sekeharada Roshi, used the koans as teaching stories. He used to tell in particular the story of the sixth ancestor quite a bit. It was one of his favorites. Not this particular piece of it, not the koan piece, but actually the previous piece about the transmission. In any event, uh, so this first part of the koan, if you're working with a koan, you should find at least three teachings. Otherwise, you haven't actually penetrated what's in there. 
And this first one is a beautiful teaching, right? It says, I know that the Dhamma, the Dharma is not hidden in the folds of this robe somewhere. I know that the clothes don't make me the successor, the new abbot. That's not what this is about. And in his case, he knew that quite clearly because he'd actually been a very poor, uh, and as I said previously, illiterate person. He, um, he came from an extremely poor family. It said that he actually sold firewood in the streets in his local town in order to make scrape together enough money for him and his mom to survive. So he didn't get a chance to go to school. That's why he was illiterate. So he knew for himself that his dignity didn't depend on what he was wearing. And as the story goes, Wei Ming, the, the pursuer, he arrives and he isn't able to pick up the robe. It's said that the robe was immovable like a mountain. Now, I take that metaphorically. <laughs> Some people take it as a miracle, maybe so, who knows. But he isn't able to take the robe. He isn't able to take the robe, even though it's been offered to him. And then this next part is pivotal. This next part, he says, as Shibayama Roshi translates it, Nyo, which is his, again, his uh, Japanese way of translating his name, Wei Ming, was terrified and he hesitated. And he turned to say something to the new abbot. And in Thomas Clary's version, it says, in fear, he paused and then he said something to the new abbot. So there's definitely a reference to fear in this koan. And you don't see a lot of that in the koan collections, I would say. So it's important that there was, there's actually a note about this in there, right? That it specifically pointed out that it was fear that caused Wei Ming to stop in his tracks, to pause for a moment. And if you think about it, he's got good reason to be fearful, right? He's suddenly face to face with his Dharma brother, who's been named the successor, who's been named the new abbot. And maybe he realizes that by even having gone out and pursued him, he's questioning the judgment of their mutual teacher, the previous abbot. Or maybe he feels fearful because he realizes that if he'd picked up that robe, 
that he technically he'd be breaking a precept. It doesn't belong to him, even if it was offered to him. It doesn't rightfully belong to him. He was not the one named the successor. So he'd be breaking the precept of taking what's not given. Or maybe he just suddenly has a realization that this is his Dharma brother. And that this is the, what he had in mind is not the way to meet So he pauses and then he says this, he says, I have not come for the robe, I have come for the Dharma. So please give me a teaching. Ha, the pursuer has a change of heart. So he let his fear be information. He let the fear that he was feeling actually turn him toward something else, toward the Dharma. Not overwhelm him, right? Or drag him into a brawl with his Dharma brother or his former teacher, the former abbot who's given the succession over. But he lets his fear penetrate enough to stop and revisit. Okay, what's really going on here? And so his Dharma brother responds by giving him a teaching. A very famous teaching. He says, without thinking good or bad, right now in this moment, what is your original face? Now you might think to yourself, That's not fair, asking him a question, (laughs) rather than just giving him a straight out teaching. But in a sense it is, right? So there are three parts to this. This This is a pointer. What the new abbot has given Wei Ming is a pointer, three pointers actually. So he says, not thinking good or bad. Okay, so right off the bat, he says, set down, your ideas about dualistic thoughts. Set down your judgment about whether this was the right thing or the wrong thing to have happened, whether you want the robe or don't want the robe. Set down all of your back and forth. Not because that stuff isn't true, but because the expression, the full complete expression of Dharma doesn't come from there. 
It doesn't come from that kind of judgmental mind. And then the second part of the pointer is, he says, right at this moment, right at this moment. Because the expression of Dharma comes right at this moment. It doesn't come out of some dusty old book. It doesn't come out of this old robe that's been passed down through generations. It's not sitting on a mountaintop somewhere. It's emerging right here at this moment. This is the place to find it. And then the hard nut at the end, the difficult part to crack, right? What is your original face or your true face? or sometimes also referred to as your face before your parents were born. And this, I would propose, is a pointer at what, the question is basically, if we were to rephrase it in contemporary terms, what are you without any of your identity from this lifetime? What is this thing? Without relying on clinging to anything that defines you in this lifetime. And my time is getting short, so I'm going to just try to move directly toward that question. So the reason why that is a useful pointer is because this thing, this body and mind, not just mine, but every one of ours, is an expression of those very principles that we are trying to observe, that we are trying to wake up to. We exist right in the midst of those things, karma, impermanence, emptiness, interconnectedness. That's the way we're built. So the place of discovery is right here in this one. In what's universal about you. Not necessarily what's specific. What's specific is an expression of what's universal. in the same way that wave is an expression of ocean. So it's right here and it's right now. And you're not going to figure it out by judging good and bad. It's not that kind of a question. So 
it's a profound teaching. And, and uh, Wei Ming's response is this. At once, he had some kind of opening. And then he started crying. And it says, in tears, he made a bow and asked a question. So again, a lot of emotion being expressed in this koan. There aren't very many places where in the Zen literature you see talk of people crying. The only other instance that comes to mind for me is the Diamond Sutra, where Subhuti cries when the Buddha tells him about the nature of ultimate wisdom. So maybe it's a, it's a subtle reference to that. In any event, he was moved to tears by this teaching. And he says, besides these esoteric words and meanings, is there any more? Is there any further significance? This again is Shibayama Moriya Less. This is my paraphrase of uh, Shibayama Roshi's uh, translation. So what does this word esoteric mean? It means secret, right? Secret or something that is hidden. That's a bit of a mystery. So he says, he's, he's asking for a little bit more. But the interesting part here is that he clearly has not understood the teaching, the, the full meaning of what that teaching he just received is because the teaching that he just received was, you are the thing itself. And yet he's still asking for more. He's still, he thinks that he's received some kind of secret, right? So he's still looking for something special, just as much as he was looking for something special when he wanted to steal the robe. But there's no decoder ring. <laughs> Sorry to say. And so what does the new abbot say? He corrects him immediately. And he says, what I have just told you, what I have just told you is not esoteric. It's not secret. If you will realize your true self, then you will see that it is you yourself. Or the way that the, the verse that goes along with this koan says, it says that the self is here, cannot, the true self is here, it cannot be hidden. Because to be sure, the true self is not a solid, permanent, ever existing self. It is this thing arising as a phenomena, moment by moment, as a phenomena that is expressing those principles, those ultimate principles. So the story ends well, my time is up. So the story ends well, because it's said that Wei Ming then follows his Dharma brother, agrees to the succession and receives this deep teaching eventually. 
So for each of you, I think if I, there's one thing that I would like to say, it's that knowing that you yourself are a dharma can come in many ways. It might come as fear. It might come as tears. It might come as an encounter face-to-face. It might come as an inscrutable question. But whatever way it comes, it's up to you to have the door open, to have the gate be open. Mm -hmm. 